This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. It'll be a good day. I'm going to try to give us a, a biblical perspective of Palm Sunday. So what's going to take place today? If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up real high and go with me the book of Matthew chapter 21. Now, I'm, I'm going to get a highlight of some of the stuff that took place when I was in Israel a month ago and we were so honored to be able to go there. Actually, this Easter season, it's been real easy for me to, to connect the dots in certain areas. And so, um, even on the area of the palm tree, they're all over Israel. It, it was almost shocking to me how many palm trees are there. In uh, Deuteronomy 34, it references the city of Jericho as the city of the palm. And so, you see those a bunch, but when you get a palm branch... The palm branch actually is in in shape of the V right here. The palm branch is symbolic of victory. And so when we talk about Palm Sunday, actually we're talking about victory here. And so, again, go with me the book of Matthew chapter 21, and we'll begin here in verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethage at the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm just going to stop there. And so Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And they're coming toward the Mount of Olives. And so uh, five, six weeks ago, I was at that location. And it's going down or it's descending down the, the side of this hill. And it's, it's very steep. Actually, if you were on a bicycle going down that, you better pray your, your brakes work. Because it was that steep. But when you go down that, you, you begin to get a little bit of an insight of what Jesus was experiencing. So where the Mount of Olives is at is directly east of Jerusalem. And the thing that separates the Mount of Olives from the temple is a valley that you may have heard of called the Valley of Kidron. Right now in the Valley of Kidron, there's masses of graves just all over the side of it. And many Jews believe that when the Messiah comes, in our situation, the Lord Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ, those there on the side of those mountains will be raised first. Whether that's accurate or not, I don't know. But again, where the Mount of Olives was, it was very interesting. And so again, it helped me to connect the dots. So it says here, now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied. And a colt with her, loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. Now I want to stop right there just a second. And this is an interesting statement that Jesus makes here. He specifically says, tell them the Lord has need of them. Right there in that phrase, the Lord Jesus identifies himself as the Lord, the Messiah. Now in their customs right then, many believed he was a teacher. Some would say right here he was a prophet from Galilee. And to this day, many religions, they view Jesus as a teacher, some as a prophet. But the key is this. Do you view him as Lord? It's very important that we view Jesus as Lord and we receive him as Lord. So he goes on to say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. 
And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. And the prophet here that he's talking about is the prophet Zechariah. Now, what I'm getting ready to read is actually found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And understand that when Zechariah prophesied this, this was over 400 years before this took place. So literally, what is taking place here is you are beginning to see the fulfillment of what Zechariah prophesied. And he said, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king. Now we've seen that Jesus identified as Lord and king. Your king is coming to you, lowly. And the word lowly here, it, it means humility, unassuming, gentle, but also meekness is not weakness, but meekness literally is power under perfect control. So he's coming lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude... That's important that we see that. A very great multitude spread their clothes on the road and others cut down branches. And literally literally where you see they cut down branches in in Leviticus 23 verse 40 says they cut down palm branches. And it was their way of of, of paying homage to who Jesus was. And so they cut down the branches from the trees And they spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed, they cried out. They shouted out saying, Hosanna. Now the Hebrew word here for Hosanna is save. And they said, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so when we read this, the people right here were publicly acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah. This was a big deal. And so one of the reasons we celebrate Palm Sunday is because we acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. Now, everything that's mentioned right here, eventually it'll take us to Psalm 118. Almost every scripture that I read this morning will cross-reference back into Psalm 118. But I want you to go with me to the book of John chapter 12. John chapter number 12. And we'll add a little bit more here through John's writing on this this day called Palm Sunday. John chapter 12, verse number 1. Then six days before the Passover. Now, we're going to stop right there, and I'm going to give you a little bit of time frame as we make our way through this. Six days before Passover, this would have been Saturday. And we got to understand about Passover. Passover was one of the three major feasts that the Jews celebrated every year. And if you ever really want to study the, the feast, and I encourage you to do it, it's all found in Leviticus 23. And when we see the Passover there, the reason they celebrated this feast, it was a reminder of how they exited uh, Egypt, their deliverance From Egypt is what this is talking about. So he goes on and says this. And Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, most believe two months before. 
There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now, can you imagine what's going on in Lazarus's mind? He's sitting there eating a meal with Jesus. And he's gazing at Jesus, I'm sure, and he's probably got this thought. If it wasn't for the Lord Jesus, I would be dead. Now, the truth of the matter is, without the Lord Jesus, you may be alive physically, but you're dead also. And so there's some things when we can read into this that we can celebrate this day. Verse 3, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus. I just want to stop there. This, this anointing oil here, they, they only used it on special occasions because it was so costly. And I begin to wonder, well, just how costly was this with what Mary did? They said that this one uh, anointing of this fragrance that she put upon him was equivalent to one year's wages. Pretty expensive. But yet she said, whoo, he's this valuable to me. And so keep reading here. Then she anointed the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. Wow. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Many believe this was symbolic of the embalming or the, the, the same procedure that would take uh, when Jesus was put into the tomb. Same chapter, verse 12. Then the next day, again, a time frame. Now it's Sunday. A great multitude that had come to the feast. That had come to the feast. Now, when we talk about this, the feast, this was the feast of feast. This was a week-long celebration. And they would, they would unplug from work. And so when you looked at the feast here, it was threefold. It was spiritual, it was practical, but it was also prophetic. Now, I begin to look at some words here, and when you see some of the words for the Hebrew feast, one of the meanings of the Hebrew feast literally meant for them to, to move in a circle, to begin to dance. So I'm in Israel six weeks ago. I get a little bit of taste of this. I, I come into Jerusalem on a Friday, and somewhere around 4.30 in the evening on Friday, we go to the temple wall or the, the wailing wall, the western wall. Many of you have seen pictures of it. Remember in Hebrew customs that the Sabbath begins Friday night at 6. And so it became electrifying on the, on the temple mount. I mean thousands that evening begin to come upon the Temple Mount. You saw all the different types of Jews, and most of them were marked by the hats they wore. You could tell which were the ultra-Orthodox because of a certain hat. But I, I couldn't believe the electricity, the, um, 
rejoicing that took place. Now, this is, this is before Sabbath. So for the Feast of Passover, it would have been magnified crazy. And so as I walk to the Temple Mount, I, I'm observing all the Jews that are coming there. And, and so to get to the Welling Wall, you go down this pretty steep ramp. And I'm, I'm going down at this young Jewish boy. He catches me and he says, are you Jewish? And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, all we ask you to do is, is wear, and I just call it the beanie, the little beanie on your hat or your head. And he said, we welcome you. You're welcome to go down to the wall. And so when you get down there, thousands, thousands, plural, just up against the wall. Now understand they divide it. Men are over here, women are over here. And inside the cracks of the welling wall are little notes of pieces of paper that have been rolled up and they're jabbed in there. And some of them, there's no telling how long they've been there of prayers. And so as I'm down there beginning to pray, all of a sudden, up high from where I came from, is an incredible noise. A, a noise of rejoicing, uh, shouts and chants that are just incredible. So I walk back up the, the ramp, and as I get up there, there are literally hundreds of young Jewish boys, and they're interlocked like this with their arms around each other, and, and circle after circle of them, and they are dancing around, spinning around exactly as this talked about. I mean, they are moving, and then they'd stop, and they would all begin to chant, and they would say stuff, and then they would hug, and they would rejoice, and they would spin again. And so I asked the, the God, I said, what's happening? And he said, these are Jewish prayers they've said for years. He said, they're praying for God's protection. And it, it was incredible, the energy. Now, remember, that's just before Sabbath. So, so the feast of Passover is magnified huge. See what I begin to see? Our God loves to party. Our God loves to celebrate. Again, Leviticus 23, you can begin to look at all that. So when you begin to see what they love to do, they, they love to fellowship. They love to, to bond together. So later on that same evening, I get to go to a Jewish home and eat a Sabbath meal with this family. As I go in there, they were so blessed to have us. But I begin to notice a couple things immediately. How they unplugged from the world. Remember, from Friday at, at sundown to Saturday at sundown, there's no work. The week of Passover, there's no work for the whole week. So literally, they're unplugging from the world. But what I also noticed that night is there was no TV on. There was no music. Actually, this is going to shock some of you. There wasn't any cell phones. And so as they begin to prepare the meal, they begin to bring some. And you would eat a little bit. And then they would begin to, to communicate. And when I begin to study the feast of Passover, they love to eat, they love to, to bond together. But throughout that week, they would lay their hands on their kids and their grandkids and they would talk about how awesome God had been to them. 
Well, that night that they would begin to share through what happened through their week. And then they'd come in and you'd eat a little more. And then someone would get up and they would sing a song in Hebrew. And then you'd eat a little more. Get it? They like to eat. I believe that with Jesus. Remember when he raised from the dead, he said, hey, you guys got anything to eat? They love to eat. But what I begin to see in this feast of Passover, they made eye communication with each other. They slowed down to say, life is, is not important unless we do it together. And it was incredible. And I thought, man, we got to get back to that. Just to slow down and say, Let, let's just enjoy each other. And you say, ah, pastor, you're old school. Well, God knew he was doing something years ago. And so I begin to see just a little bit of glimpse of what this feast. And so we go back to verse 12 and it says that they'd come to the feast. And when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and they cried out. The Amplified says they kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And so when you see what they begin to do here, this, this was a time of rejoicing again. I mean, they begin to shout out and they shouted out and they shouted out. And it says in verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, he sat on it, it is as written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey. His disciples did not understand those things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. In other words, when his disciples realized that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy, they thought back, this is why he said this. In verse 17, it says, therefore the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because that they had heard that he had done this sign. And so what begins to happen here is one of the reasons they got so excited about Jesus coming to Jerusalem was they had heard that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And many that day, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So when you see here at this fast Passover feast, this was a foreshadow of Christ. This is whatever bit of this was. And so when you look at this passage, it takes us all the way to Psalms 118. Turn there with me to Psalms 118. And it's going to get good because you're going to see the, the prophecy, what was spoken in the prayer of the Jews thousands of years before. Psalm 118. Now as you're turning there, I want to highlight something too. When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, Remember this about the, the, this time of the feast. He knew why he was coming to Jerusalem. He knew what awaited him this entire week. He knew that, that come Friday I'm going to be crucified. He knew all this. Now think about this in this sense here. I know as a human being, I'm going to die someday, and you're going to die someday. That may be news to some of you, especially if you're young. I just don't know when I'm going to die and how. 
Jesus knew both. But he willingly said, I'll do it. Can, can you imagine the intensity that began to build up as Friday got closer and closer? That's why the Bible becomes graphic and says that his, his tears were like tears of blood. And he said, Father, if this, this cup can pass, let it. But not, in other words, if you can do something else, do it. But I'll go ahead and do Your will be done. Your will be done. He said, I'll go to the cross for him if that's what it takes. That's Friday. You don't want to miss Friday night service. Psalms 118, verse 21. I will praise you and I will thank you for you have answered me. And have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected, talking about Jesus, has become the chief cornerstone. Even though Jesus was rejected, he's still the cornerstone. He's, he's still the foundation. He's the very one that holds the structure in place. And it goes on to say in verse 23. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, what's interesting about verse 22 and 23, these verses are quoted five times in the New Testament as applied to Jesus being rejected. But in 2 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, it says, blessed are those who, who view him as precious. Those who believe in Jesus they view him as precious. Now this is where it begins to get interesting. Verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now that word rejoice there, it's the strongest word for joy in the entire Hebrew language. So when you see the word rejoice, it's almost like they have a fit. It, it is it is an outward expression that comes from their heart. Rejoice and be glad in it. Now watch this. Verse 25. And they would say, save now, I pray, O Lord. Save now. The New Living says, please, Lord, save us. And it was a plea for the future. They were crying out to God. And he said, oh, Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. So this is where we, we get Hosanna. So this was their cry day after. Save now, I pray, oh God, save now. Prosper now, oh God, I say prosper now. But what they would begin to do, they would hold these palm branches in their hand. One of the Hebrew words for the word Hosanna is a word called Yasha Na. Y-A-S-H-A-N-A, -A -A, meaning now. Not later, it's not Yasha someday, it's Yasha now. So at this time, they would take these palm branches, thousands, and they would all face every direction, the south, the east, the, the north, and the west, and every direction they would take these and they would shout, Yasha now, Yasha now, in, in reference to Save now, oh God, save now. Prosper now, oh God, prosper now. Now understand this, that in, in Psalms 118, 
This was their prayer. This was a, a prophetic utterance that they were asking, save now, God. But when we read Matthew 21 and John 12, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. It goes on to say this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. We have blessed you. I believe part of it, they would go into the church and they would begin to do this. Now, remember I said this. They used the word rejoice in there. I believe it, it was everything within them. They would shake those. And I begin to think about our society, what we get excited about. This would be like, and I know a lot of you in this room are Cowboys fans. When the Cowboys score a touchdown, you do a, you do a fit. You spin around in that living room and you do a little dance, a little touchdown dance. Have any of you ever done that and you're willing to admit it? Yeah. I was watching a little of the, the Masters yesterday, and Tiger Woods makes this putt, and you know what he does? He shows some excitement. He shows some energy. He shows some passion. And when I see this, this was, was what I sensed that day at the, at the Temple Mount or the Welling Wall when I begin to see how they love to come together and they worship. And I believe right here that God's saying, you're going to have to learn to practice this on earth because that's what's going to be going on in heaven. And we ought to come in here. We ought to be excited, not just on Palm Sunday. But ever Sunday. And turn with me to the book of Revelations chapter 7. Revelations chapter 7. And the reason I'm going to take you here is because this is going to give us a picture of heaven. This is going to get you an insight for, for heaven. What's going to take place in heaven or what's taking place in heaven right now? Revelations chapter 7, verse 9. After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude. Here it is again. A great multitude. But this great multitude is either going to be greater than the multitude was there at Passover. And he goes on to say, which no one could number. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, Standing before the throne. Now, if you look at everything that's going to be in heaven, take notice that every one of those words, nations, tongues, peoples, tribes, every one of them's plural. Now, get this. The word all. All nations, all tongues, all tribes, all peoples. So I'm going to read that in, in, into that for you. In heaven, there's going to be the red, yellow, black, white, and brown. The black sheep, the white sheep, the swirl sheep. I don't know how other way to tell you. And it's going to be great multitudes of the people from the beginning of the earth that are in heaven. Now, if you don't like white people or black people or brown, you got to get your stuff together. Because that's what's going to be in heaven. 
And to me, that's how it should be right here in church today. And I look and I think, you know what, and I'm not against education and I'm not against other things in our society, but the things that bring people together is Jesus. Jesus is the cure. Pastor, you ought to run for president. You're brilliant. Just get people born again, get them filled with Jesus and prejudice goes down the tube. Now watch what they're doing in heaven. They're standing before the throne. Standing before the throne room of God. And before the Lamb. If you'll notice there, it says the Lamb. It doesn't say a Lamb, it says the Lamb. And there's only one Lamb, and his name is Jesus. And in Revelations 5 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And so the people that get to heaven are the ones that have received Jesus, the Lamb, as Lord and Savior. There's no shortcuts. So they're standing before the throne and before Jesus, clothed with white robes. You know what the white robes signify? Righteousness and virtue. Now look at the last thing. With palm branches in their hands. <laughs> Victory. Victory. That's what's going on in heaven. And they're crying out with a loud voice, not a quiet voice. They're crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders, and most believe the elders, there's 24 of them, 12 from the tribe of Jacob, all the sons. The Jews tell you that's still in existence in Israel to this day. And the other 12 are the original apostles. The four living creatures, and many believe these are the qualities and characters of God. Now look what they did. They fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. And there's a lot of worship going on in heaven. This is practice or dress rehearsal right here. If that's what we're going to be doing in heaven, we might as well start practicing right now. Well, Pastor, I, I really don't like to worship. Well, you better get where you like it. Because that's what's going to happen in heaven. Well, Pastor, I didn't think worship was very good today. Well, the truth of the matter is we didn't come to worship you. We came to worship Jesus. That hurt. Verse 12. Amen, so be it. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, and our power and might, the sevenfold adoration, be to our God forever and ever. Amen, so be it. That's what's going to be coming in heaven, right there. Then one of the elders answered to me saying, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Again, it doesn't say there's any other way. Only the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus 
gets me into heaven. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus is the great stain stick, or I should rephrase it, it's the only stain stick to sin. And so I don't care what you've done today, the blood of Jesus is greater than it. He's the one that qualifies us. Therefore, they are before the throne room of God and they serve him just on Sundays. <laughs> they serve him day and night in his temple. That's what's going on in the church in heaven. Day and night we go before the throne. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, be blessing and glory and honor, power and wisdom forever. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. And the sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountain of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Wow. To die is the gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. And when I read that verse right there, it moves me. A place where there's no more hunger. There's no more thirst. There's no more pain. There's no more tears. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but a number of years ago, I was delayed in an airport, and I got the little book about the little boy who died and went to heaven, and they made a movie about that. I began to read the stories of that little boy. And it began to move me. And I had to quit reading that. You know why? I was like, Lord, get me out of here. I'm serious. I got to the place where I said, I'm just going to check out. I'm just going to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Heaven's for real. And I'm telling you, there became an incredible pull upon me. And you know what I realized? The Lord was saying, wait, wait, wait. Heaven's a great place, but your assignment's not over here. And so as long as I'm here, I might as well become a person that duplicates what's going on in heaven right now while I'm in earth. And so when we read Palm Sunday, you know what Palm Sunday is? Jesus is not only the fulfillment of the Messiah, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. It all points to him. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.